0: The news cycle these days can be
1: relentless.
0: Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. During this pandemic, there's been no shortage of interventions from all levels of government to help Canadians. I'm sure you already know this because they make sure to tell you about every last one of them. Sometimes they announce what the intervention will accomplish before they even make it official. Sometimes they make big promises. The government of Ontario will make sure that no one gets evicted. Uh, We stand by that. But a lot of those programs and interventions and suspensions and moratoriums and all of this stuff that governments made a big deal of at the start of this thing, had a time limit. And for a whole lot of Canadians, in vulnerable situations, who still need that help, turns out time's up.
1: It was a day that sparked fear amongst many Toronto residents. Today, a moratorium was lifted on residential evictions, opening the door to hundreds of people potentially being kicked out of their homes in the midst of a pandemic.
0: York Southwestern has one of the city's highest rates of COVID 19, and now it's seeing some of the highest eviction rates, too. In this era of COVID 19, hearings are being held virtually through Microsoft Teams. They might not even have the technology to attend, or sometimes might not even get a notice. Of a hearing at all. If you haven't fallen behind in your rent, if you haven't been worried about being tossed onto the street, then maybe you didn't know that the Ontario government's moratorium on evictions ended a few months ago. They certainly didn't make a point of blasting that notice out to all Ontarians. But whether you realized it or not, that moratorium expired. And last month, When eviction hearings began again, all hell broke loose. And now, the government is trying to find a way
1: to clean up the mess.
0: I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Suze Morrison is an Ontario NDP MPP. She represents Toronto Centre. She is the official opposition critic for tenant rights. Hello, Ms. Morrison. Hi,
1: thanks for having me. Of
0: course, before uh, we get to what's actually, hopefully, maybe about to happen this week or, or what's going on currently, um, take me back maybe for the past month or so. What have we seen happening in Toronto, particularly throughout November?
1: Yeah, well, what we've seen is a renewed uh, political pressure uh, that I believe is coming directly from the minister's office down onto the Landlord and Tenant Board um, to clear an administrative backlog that's been created uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, and that's a, a backlog of um, of hearings uh, that are in need of uh, being scheduled at the board. Uh, many of those are eviction hearings. Um, but we know that the, uh, you know, the landlord and tenant board paused eviction hearings for several months this year uh, as a result of a temporary eviction ban that was put in place as a result of COVID-19, and necessary uh, eviction ban um you know many folks lost their jobs lost their employment lost their income this year uh, as a result of the pandemic um, and weren't able to pay all of their rent um and they've fallen behind and you know tenants need an opportunity to um, have the time and space to get caught up once they're working again so we see a backlog of cases partially from The temporary shutdown earlier in the year. Uh, But to be quite frank, there was a massive backlog at the board um, before COVID even started. Uh, And so now, uh, you know, we've got this double whammy of a backlog at the board, uh, and it's taking months and months and months for folks to get hearings. And you know, instead of addressing the the crisis that's unfolding uh, in our housing sector, with thousands of folks about to fall into homelessness in the next few months as a result of uh, economic struggles from COVID-19, um, you know, the board has decided to move its hearings into an online format so that they can continue having them, even though our cities are in lockdown, and they're they're moving through these eviction hearings as fast as, as possible. Uh, but you know, we're hearing from uh, legal experts and advocates on the ground that these online hearings are just disastrous.
0: I'm going to ask you a little bit more about those hearings in a minute, but first, I'm just going to I'm just going to play the average citizen who probably hasn't been uh, paying attention to every last uh, movement by this government or or many others. I thought that at the beginning of the pandemic, the government said that nobody would be evicted uh, due to COVID, and that's where that moratorium came from. Where did it go? When did it go?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I mean, those are Doug Ford's own words. I mean, Doug Ford himself stood up and said no one would lose their home as a result of the pandemic. And that's turned out to be not true. So the original uh, eviction moratorium was actually tied to a court order. Um, It was a judicial order that was based on the original state of emergency. So back in March, when the province declared a state of emergency, a whole bunch of measures were brought into effect. And part of them was, uh, you know, in a state of emergency, people can't be evicted. What we saw happen in the summer months when the legisl- legislature came back into session uh, was the conservative government passed a bill that effectively and, and they did this very very quickly and quietly um, and rammed it through the legislature in a matter of a handful of days and uh, this bill basically gave the government uh, the authority of emergency measures the power of emergency measures without any of the oversight of the legislature and without having to be in the technicality of a state of emergency. So they, they, they gave themselves all of these special extra emergency powers with no oversight, but what that meant was on paper, we came out of a state of emergency back in the summer and so the government then went back to the judge that had originally issued the eviction moratorium and said look we're no longer in a state of emergency and the the judicial order stopping evictions uh was lifted um you know under the you know legal assumption that we weren't in a state of emergency but those emergency powers were still retained just in a different way and it wasn't like our communities weren't still in crisis you know we were weeks away at that point from uh the entering the second wave um and we're now up to you know case counts of over 2,000 uh cases a day here in ontario uh, with several of our cities back in uh in lockdowns um including here in toronto uh there's there's literally nowhere for for folks to go um and a lot of these evictions are you know families working class people who lost their jobs this year uh, through no fault of their own
0: Tell me a little bit about those virtual hearings. I understand you've seen some of them. Can you just describe them?
1: Yeah, uh, I have seen some of them. I've sat in uh, on a block of hearings. Um, I'm hoping to maybe sit down on a handful more uh, later this week. It's chaotic. You know, the first thing that happens when you when you sign on is um, when you have to remember, you know, your hearing. So if you're a tenant going through an eviction hearing, you're scheduled in a block. So you're given a, um, a couple of hours of a window and you have to be in that call for that whole duration. uh, And the adjudicator can call your case anytime in that window. Um, So you know, if you're a working class person, you may have to take a whole half day off work to even participate in that hearing to begin with. So if you're able to sign on, which is the first biggest barrier, uh, we're finding that tenants aren't even getting connected into their own hearings uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, One, there's a presumption that everyone in the province has access to uh, phones and internet and computers uh, and that's not true. <laughs> uh, you know, we're hearing heartbreaking stories of folks that are calling in to to stop their evictions from payphones in the rain, from getting dropped from their own hearings and, and presumed to be have abandoned their cases because their 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 pay as you go cell phones ran out of minutes halfway through the hearing. You know, that's justice that isn't a justice system that isn't designed for the most poor is not is not a just system. Um, So so there's those kind of issues where people aren't even getting into the hearings and connected to the hearings at all. And even before that, that's even if they know that they're having a hearing. Uh, We're also hearing issues with people not being mailed or emailed the notices. Uh, They're getting caught up in spam filters or the board is sending them to the wrong email address, you know, or people are getting their notices in the mail the day before their hearing because of the the delays at Canada Post as we go into the holiday season and appreciating how much, uh, you know, how stressed our postal system is right now. So all of these issues are happening. So now let's say you're lucky enough to, to have access to a phone, to have access to a computer, to have reliable internet, to have a private space, to have an eviction hearing in uh, that's not an overcrowded apartment with six roommates. You make it into the hearing. Well, now you're in this block. And they're riddled with technical issues with the adjudicators who can't, you know, figure out how to keep people entirely mute with disruptions, uh, confused elderly tenants who don't uh, necessarily speak English as a first language, you know, just kind of crying hopelessly and helplessly into the phone lines. You know, what do I do? What do I do? You know, they don't understand that they're in a uh you know a virtual hearing with dozens of other people they think it's just their hearing um and they're trying to talk and be heard and it's it's creating chaos in the in these virtual rooms and then you know if you need access to legal aid one of the most concerning parts from my perspective is there's no technological function design into how the board is doing these online hearings for you as a tenant to have private uh conversations uh with the legal aid representatives that are there the legal aid tenant duty council Without having to disconnect from the call, um, after broadcasting your personal phone number and pub- private information into an online public forum that anyone could be in, you have to broadcast your number, effectively doxing yourself on the internet, then disconnect from the call, and then Legal Aid has to call you, have a conversation, uh, and then you have to successfully reconnect to the meeting. Uh, And the most heartbreaking example of why that can be so problematic was we heard of a case where it was a woman who was a survivor of domestic violence, and she raised that with the adjudicator and said, I feel unsafe disclosing uh, my phone number uh, in a public forum uh, that my abuser could very well be listening in on. There, There has to be another way for me to connect legal aid. And there was absolutely no accommodation made and, and uh, you know, no compassion or empathy uh, to resolve that situation safely on, on the part of the adjudicator.
0: Why are they such a mess and who is responsible for it? I mean, I know uh, your position is that in the macro, uh, this is a failure of the conservative government, but I don't want to talk about that just now, like what's happened on the ground to make this such a disaster?
1: Well, to be quite honest, you know, I I do think it's a politically motivated issue. Back in January, before COVID even started, there was this administrative backlog that was building um, as a result of the, the government not appointing enough adjudicators. Well, so then what happened? Well, you know, at that point, landlords and tenants were getting, you know, quite frustrated with the system. Uh, you know, both sides were putting in applications and waiting upwards of six months to get hearings. It wasn't, the system wasn't working before COVID happened. And so in January, the Ontario Ombudsman um, launched an investigation into the landlord and tenant board and for the last year has been working through you know what those you know systemic and you know frontline issues with the board are the problem there now is that you know we have a government who now has a political target on their back with this um, forthcoming ombuds report that um, you know should could be out any time now. And you know they have an eagerness to kind of you know cover the mistakes of the past um, and try and clear the backlog, so they can say no 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 the backlog really isn't that bad and we've been working to, to clear the to clear the the cases and um, you know fix the issues at the board all year long you know despite COVID we're you know we, we've cleared the backlog, um, but you know that would only make sense if we weren't in a global pandemic you know at the end of the day. Uh, an administrative backlog is a failure that's secondary to the failure of not keeping people housed in a pandemic.
0: So tell me what's happening on that level um, right now. I understand there was a vote on this last week at Queen's Park. What happened?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the debate was originally scheduled for uh, Wednesday evening. Um, And when we came into the house on Tuesday, I mean, we were almost done. The house was only sitting for two more days. Um, According to our legislative schedule, we came in on Tuesday and uh, the government house leader motions to adjourn the house. Um, And at that point, you know, I was really quite upset uh, because uh, as far as I was concerned, the motion was far too um, time sensitive um, to be put off until February, which is when it would have been rescheduled for. Um, Tell me about the motion, first of all. Yeah, sorry, I'll back up. Yeah, the motion is um, a motion for a a, a moratorium on evictions uh, in Ontario until the province is in a post pandemic recovery period. Um, So it doesn't tie it any more to the to the emergency orders, but rather, um, you know, when we're considered to be in a recovery period from from COVID. Uh, So that was tabled. um, And uh, so when we get into the debate on the motion to adjourn um i stood up and you know uh got into calandra the government house leader a little bit trying to suggest that you know as a province, we can't be, you know, packing things early and heading off to for the holidays two days early while there's this important uh, motion on the table. You know, we need to make time to debate this. And so, in response, uh, we were able to secure unanimous consent to pass the the motion without debate ahead of schedule. So the motion technically passed unanimously through the legislature, um, although we didn't get the opportunity to debate it, which I'm a little frustrated about just because I think it was really important um, for the conservatives to have heard um, the stories that that we're hearing from from tenants, from folks that are going through these hearings. And I, I think it was really important for them to have taken the time to listen to those stories that we would have been able to bring up through debate um, and to sit with that. But you know, obviously the outcome of the motion passing was more important. So it was passed, but now the next step is, uh, you know, the motion is basically instructions to the premier. It's saying your house, your legislators have unanimously agreed that this is the, the, the step that needs to happen, that we unanimously agree on an eviction moratorium. Uh, but to actually put it into effect, uh, the next step is for the premier to sign an emergency order declaring an eviction moratorium and he has that power um so the only thing holding up bringing the eviction ban into effect is the premier himself and that that falls squarely on his shoulders um so we're continuing uh to increase our our calls to him directly to sign the emergency order and bring the eviction ban into force
0: can you give me a sense of the scope of what's happening right now and uh The urgency behind it, because my understanding is these hearings are happening right now and will happen like right up till Christmas and afterwards. Um, How many people are we talking about here?
1: Tens of thousands, tens of thousands of people. The heartbreaking thing is, you know, it's not, you know, despite, you know, what some critics of the of the eviction ban would say, you know, it's not people that have been, you know, willfully negligent and, you know, not paying their their rent for, you know, months and months and months on end. For the most part, these hearings are working families where someone in the home has lost a job as a direct result of COVID-19. For example, I I think the best example is look at anyone who's in the service industry, um, in the restaurant industry. Uh, You know, you went through March, April, May with absolutely no income coming in. You probably fell behind in your rent, particularly if you live in Toronto. You know, even if you were getting CERB, you know, the average market price for a one bedroom here uh, is $2,100 a month. CERB didn't pay the rent let alone put food on the table uh, in downtown Toronto. And if you're a single mom with two kids in a two bedroom apartment, uh, it really did not go far enough. So, I mean, that's the first piece. So you lost your job, uh, you know, and, and, but maybe you got into the summer, you know, the patios and the bars reopened there for a little bit for a couple months, you know, so as as a, you know, maybe you're a chef or, or a server in the restaurant industry, you got back to work for a few months, um, you know, you started paying your rent every month on time, um, you started paying an extra couple hundred dollars a month to chip away at the, um, you know, the debt you'd incurred um, in back backed rent for, you know, March, April and May. Uh, you know, you were making good progress in good faith, paying every month on time. And then, you know, September, October hits and, uh, you know, your industry shut down again by lockdown order by the province. And, and now you're falling behind again. And, you know, the, like th- this is what these eviction cases look like overwhelmingly. Um, it's people that are doing their best, that through no fault of their own fell behind this year, um, but are making their best efforts to get caught up.
0: Just to play devil's advocate for a minute before um, before we continue with what needs to change. Um There's a lot of landlords that are relying on this rent uh, to get their families through the holidays and put food on their table. I know some uh, landlords or giant corporations that might or might not be out to just grab all they can. But there are also people who own these properties as income properties, and they don't have many options
1: either. Absolutely. And I'm fully sympathetic to that. And it's why since day one of the pandemic, the NDP have been calling for a provincial rent subsidy. To help tenants pay their rent, and when tenants can pay their rent, guess what? Landlords can keep the mortgage paid. You know, it's something that um, I know the the Federation of Rental Housing Providers has been calling for a rent subsidy. We've been calling for a rent subsidy. Small landlords have been calling for a rent subsidy. It is a simple solution, and to be quite frank, we have the money to do it. Um, you know, the province has sat on $12 billion of unspent uh, funding that was allocated to emergency relief that would have been more than enough. To help tenants weather this storm. You could have sliced the policy up, you know, a dozen different ways in terms of, you know, what amounts or how you do it or how you distribute it. But any form of a rent subsidy could have prevented the crisis that we're seeing at the Landlord and Tenant Board. It, it never had to be this way.
0: What needs to happen before March or April or or whenever we really start to come through the other side of this pandemic? Um, to fix the larger issues at play here. Is there a good faith conversation to be had uh, between the opposition and the government? Is there any common ground that that could use to address what's obviously a problem with the system, not just the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we need to have a a serious conversation about what the Landlord and Senate Board looks like. You know, this was originally intended to be, you know, a a uh, quasi-judicial board where landlords and tenants could take their disputes and have them sorted out without clogging up our court system and particularly our small claims court system it was supposed to be you know uh, almost a, a customer service like environment uh, where people come get get help get mediation sort through their problems it has somehow over the years navigated away from that into more of a court-like setting where tenants uh, don't have a whole lot of power anymore in that system. You know, even when you come into the hearings, it's the, the, the amount of judicial language that's made its way um, into those bodies makes it very confusing for, for the layperson to understand. You know, when you show up to your hearing and the the paralegal that's there representing the landlord, because overwhelmingly about 97% of, of landlords are legally represented in these cases, um, and about three to 5% of tenants are. Um, so right off the bat, you have a, a discrepancy in, in who can actually afford to have their their interests best represented it's the folks with money it's the landlords it's not the tenants so there's already a power imbalance from the, from the right off the get go and then you get into your hearing and and uh, the adjudicator asks what are what are we here for um the paralegals stand up and say we're seeking a standard order against the client uh, you know how many tenants understand that the word standard order means eviction hmm. right yeah uh, we're seeking a standard order Right? Like the, the language is so codified that, you know, and especially if you, if you don't speak English as a first language, um, you really do not understand the implications of what's happening. You know, and, and under Bill 184, which the government passed um, during the summer months, um, it's become even harder for tenants. I mean, they now have to file notices to give evidence um, at least five days ahead of their hearing. You know, they think that, they, that their, their day in court is, is their time where they can come and show up share their side of the story make their case show their evidence because a lot of the times you know the landlord's version of the story isn't the only one um and tenants may have outstanding issues you know maybe they were partially withholding rent uh because the landlord refused to to pay for pest control and so they paid for an exterminator out of pocket and now they're being taken to court for an eviction for non-payment of rent. When there was a valid maintenance expense that the tenant incurred out of pocket and deducted legally from their rent, you know, but the landlord doesn't care and they see it as a quick and easy way to get a, you know, a tenant out so they can turn, turn the unit around and, and jack up the rental prices. You know, these are the types of things we see, you know, and now tenants have to know that they have to give notice, you know, to raise a new issue in a hearing, the legal threshold and the legal ease that's made its way into the board has made it, you know, quite onerous and difficult for tenants to navigate without legal help. And then side by side with that, we saw, you know, massive cuts to legal aid by, by 30%. Um, you know, legal aid doesn't have the capacity anymore to attend all of these hearings. You know, it's an incredibly frustrating process. and And I would say it's an absolute farce of justice at this point. When tenants lose, they fall into homelessness. And it is the, the the social cost of that is you know the extra shelter beds we have to fund. It's the extra housing workers we have to fund. It's you know extra healthcare costs we incur when people end up in in the emergency department instead of a shelter because they can't get a bed. You know we pay for these evictions, whether we like to real whether we like to accept it or not.
0: Ms. Morrison, thank you so much for helping us uh, through this legal maze today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Suze Morrison, Ontario NDP MPP for Toronto Centre, official opposition critic for tenant rights. That was The Big Story. For more from us, we're at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can email us to tell us why Ms. Morrison's wrong, to tell me why I'm wrong, to tell me anything you like. The address is thebigstorypodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. If you find this podcast in your favorite player and you have not yet rated and reviewed, give us a Christmas present with a nice one. I promise you, we read every one. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.